1: If I could take all the things that you guys have learned over the last 10 years and just summarize them, put them in some way to easily digest them and take action, that's what this book is all about. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash new book and get your copy today.
0: Welcome into the Financial Freedom Roundtable, where each week we break down complex financial topics so that you can easily understand them and more importantly, take action on your path becoming financially free. If this is your first time joining us, welcome, grateful to have you in the room. I'm Russ Morgan, they call me the idea guy, mostly because lack of thought guy or good enunciation guy, just didn't sound so cool to me. But enough about me for a moment, let me introduce you to my co-host, my partner, he's Italian Stallion, he's got the license plate cover to prove it, Mr. Julian Mure, Stallion, good afternoon.
1: How you doing, my friend? Man, I'm struggling, my my words are not coming out of my mouth the way (laughs) I want them to. I know it's just another day that ends in why. but, um, seriously, that's, we're not talking about that today. Russ. We're not talking about your vernacular or lack thereof. Mm. We're talking about infinite banking. And one of the biggest objections that we hear is why wouldn't you just do this with a savings account, right? Like just seems simple enough. Y'all are making this too complex. It's just cause you want to sell some more insurance. Is that what this is all about? Yes. Oh no, no! I wasn't supposed to say yes that way. <laughs> well,
0: I mean, I mean, I do want to sell more insurance. I, I, I like to buy more insurance, and there's a reason why is because that it actually works really well. It, it's a, it's an amazing tool for the process of using this concept of infinite banking. Now we've covered this in episodes in the past that infinite banking is not whole life insurance, right? Infinite banking is the process of using tools like whole life insurance to create the banking function, take over third-party banking out of the hands of the bankers, put it in our hands, get our cash into a place so we can organize it so that then we can also start buying assets and produce passive income. Now, when I was having a conversation recently, Joey, I was in San Antonio. I was talking to this group about 100, 125 people, and I'm sharing this amazing story about how you and I have produced over fifty thousand dollars a month in passive income, and the way that we did it was by using whole life insurance in this concept of infinite banking. And a hand goes up. I look over and I can see the pocket protector. I can see, you know, the phone on the hip. I know <laughs> it's getting ready to come. Like I'm like, all right, here here we go. Let's do it. Come on, you know, buckle up your chin strap. And he he says. But why can't I just do this whole concept and use a savings account? Wouldn't it be so much easier? And I was like, okay, well, let me share with you at least ten reasons why you wouldn't
1: want to do that. And that's what the impetus of this podcast is about. So but this, this you know, is I, a this is a a shout out to that gentleman. It's a dedication, if you will. Yeah, it's a shout out to all accountants right like here's
0: an opportunity i love your analytical thinking here's how you understand this better and i want you to be able to gain knowledge for this so that it'll give you wisdom as to how you can potentially start utilizing this for yourself joey let's shut up and let's bring in the dream team of financial coaches to my right i got the retiree of the group mr catch me if you can but he's not killing bears with his bare hands a spear of
2: for tuna He's right here dropping gold nuggets, the one and only Mark Karaguchi. Welcome, Mark. Good to be here, guys. Good afternoon. Uh, you know, this is super timely because I actually was on a call earlier today with a gentleman who had this exact question. I said, man, if let, you know what, let's, let, let's see how far we get on this, but we're doing a podcast on it after this. So you're going to be able to hear it and actually be able to quality control some of the questions that you have around this specific topic of, you know, why wouldn't I just throw it all in a savings account and do it that way. And so this is going to be a lot of fun. I think there's a lot of really great points in here and there's going to be a lot, I believe, of opportunities to demystify and potentially debunk some things that might be kind of clouding the water and adding noise to the discussion. Mm, Yeah.
0: Well, it it is definitely an important topic because if you're going to use this infinite making concept, you have to understand all the different tools and know which ones not to use. But before we have more into that, let me let me bring in the doctor, man. We got a DFM in the house. That's a doctor of financial medicine. And yes, he can resuscitate your financial situation. Mr. Automated Budget himself, Eric Hudson. Great to have you on, Eric.
3: Russ, I look, I don't know, look deep into the camera, look into my eyes. I don't know if you can tell, but since I'm now become a grandfather, I'm sort of the elder of the family. There's just wisdom. I mean it's automatic wisdom. Exuding. Exuding out was, of this eye. coming forth. You know, Russ, we used to have uh, we used to have this little dog. It's the first inside dog we ever had. Dog was smart as a whip. I mean, learned every kind of trick you could imagine, just responded to commands. We could tell it to go get, you know, the yellow banana, it would bring that one back. We'd tell it to go get the hamburger and it would bring I mean, the dog was smart. But this dog, Russ. We would give this dog a um, a treat. And the dog was small. He couldn't eat it all. And he would run over to the corner of the living room on the carpet and, and just dig, 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 dig. And then take his nose and try to put that treat into a hole he thought he had dug. Because as smart as that dog was, he knew he had to have a safe place to put that treat because it was important to him that he could go back and get it later. But because the dog had never been outside had never been in an environment to where he could really find a good place to put that, that was all he knew to do. He was just working on instinct. Mm. And sometimes that's how we do. I mean, if we're not surrounded by the right people and not getting the right inputs, we just do what everybody else has done and what feels natural. And sometimes that's not the best thing. Man, I didn't
0: know where you're going with that, but I like that. I like that analogy, very good. And I got a dog that probably would have dug a hole he would have made it. He, he would have made it through that carpet and through that hardwood floor. And if you just gave him long enough, uh, thank goodness for Leo, our golden retriever, I love him to stop digging holes in my yard and trying to dig them in my house as well.
3: All right. I, I'm
0: a I'm a redneck, Russ. If you're looking for folks and wisdom, I've got you. Let's do this thing. it's right up my alley. If you're into this, let's sit out at the virtual round table and Leo.
2: Russ Morgan,
0: and Joey Murray. All right, Salian, buckle up. I want to I wanna break this thing down here, the 10 reasons why you should not be using a savings account. Now, number one, that I think most investors, we tend to think in rate of return. It's always about rate of return. What's the investment rate of return? So as we're talking about using a savings account, or not using a savings account versus using a whole life policy to do infinite banking, why wouldn't we start with return? Mark, would you want to jump in there and let's t- kind of break down the differences of rate of return? Because I think most of us understand how savings accounts rates of return work or lack thereof, right? But very few people understand how insurance contracts work. So
2: would you mind kind of comparing and contrasting this? Two? Sure. So I'm going to make this real easy and real layman's. Because I don't know who this, this lay dude is, but apparently layman's is the way that we're supposed to talk about simple stuff. So I don't know what just call it, talking about simple stuff. So when, when, when we're looking at the, the savings account versus the, the, the properly structured, you know, whole life insurance contract, right? That that's the compared to in terms of the internal growth or the growth of this actual pot of cash. And I had this question earlier today, like I said, and so that the gentleman was saying, well, but you know, when I look at today's rates for my savings account. And I said, yeah, I actually just looked it up and the website that I found, it was anywhere from like a three to a 5.3% for a savings account. And I said, man, that, that just looks amazing. And a lot of people are really excited about that. And I said, well, how long have we had that for? And that's exactly what I heard. Two months. Um, <laughs> there was, There was a bit of a pause because again, if we're comparing this, we've got to look at some historical, some track records, right? I mean, for the better part of my adult life, interest rates in a savings account have been sub one, and it's only within the last 12 to 18 months that we've actually seen the quote market drive a savings rate to be something higher. Whereas life insurance up until say about two years ago had a guaranteed floor of a contractually IRS coveted minimum 4% gross growth rate. And so now it's like, wow. There's an actual contractual floor in there. There's an actual contractual number and I can hang my hat on it. And so the the difference for me in terms of these, the savings account opportunity in, in this example, versus say the life insurance part is, I have no idea what the savings account's gonna do next year. I have no idea what it's gonna do the year after that. I, I know what it did this year as well as last year, but I don't know about next year and the year beyond. Whereas the life insurance, I know what my quote worst case scenario is. But I also know there's a, a plus side to that, right? There, there's a dividend component that could potentially come true, um, which it has consistently. And so when I look at those two, I'm an airline pilot by trade. You give me two engines on an airplane, I'm always thinking about only flying on one because I got to think worst case scenario. So I've got to be planning for the worst. And so that's that, that's that's how I, I walked through that difference of, man, you know, interest rates today in the quote market look really cool in terms of a savings account. But that's been a very, very small snippet of our actual adult life. Well, and I
0: think the return is we could see that, right? We have short-term variable rates that happen inside of savings accounts. Right now, we're working in a very inverted market, a weird market where short-term rates are actually higher than long-term rates. We all obviously know that that can't last for long because ultimately nobody would invest in the long-term if they were going to get a better return on short-term. So it will switch. But we see spikes really quick up, also spikes really quick down as it relates to banks. But insurance companies, Joey, they don't they don't work that way, right? Why is it that insurance rates don't spike high or low? They 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 tend to move very slowly. What's the kind of thought process there? What's happening? Help help the person learn.
1: Well, the the basis of any whole life insurance companies investment portfolio is long, long-term bonds. We're talking 30 year type notes here that they're, they're investing in. And you start to see, you know, 30 years ago, what were those interest rates that they were able to obtain on those bonds? And then over the last maybe 10 years, 15 years, how those rates have kind of come down now they're going back up in the insurance company gets the benefit of that longevity they're not subject to that really small, as Mark was talking about, window in time where we've seen a spike. Those things, they're gonna get the benefit of that, but you're gonna see it over a much longer scale time. That's why they're able to give much higher over the long haul um, consistent returns instead of these spikes. All right, so let's talk about loans though, right? Because you're, you're in the mortgage world
0: and you're our resident expert as it relates to loans. Talk a little bit about the loan ability of using a savings account as compared to using an insurance policy. Kind of compare and contrast this for me.
1: Yeah, so I'll, I'll try to keep it somewhat nuts and bolts here and somewhat brief because there's a lot of points we have to get through for this podcast. But I think about loans in a, a couple of different verticals. Number one, when I take a loan, what's the maximum I can take percentage-wise to what I have as an asset? Okay, so for instance, if I have $100,000 in the savings account, how much of that 100000 can I borrow against with a, a banking institution, right? And in this case, it, it varies, right? The research that I've done, is, it's very basic, but it's anywhere from 90, maybe 80 to 100% of whatever that asset is. Contrast that with an insurance company, when I have cash value of 100000 I can borrow anywhere from ninety five to ninety eight percent, typically, of what that cash value represents. So there's one difference. So but, Eric, what, what would you say is a big another difference as it
0: relates to borrowing money against the life insurance policy versus a savings account? Uh,
3: Russ, has Ryan ever played um, any kind of sport? Base, baseball?
0: Man, he's like he's that. tried them all. Like you know, he he's he's dabbled. Did he play t-ball? He played tee ball. Well,
3: that, that's what you've just done for me right here. You, you've you just put the ball on the tee and, and just set it where I can hit it. This, if there's a favorite thing about my whole life insurance systems that I have, it's really this piece right here. Russ, when I go to the bank and ask for a loan, they tell me what the terms are going to be. They tell me when I'm going to pay it back, how much I'm going to pay back, And I better not mess up, or they're going to hold me to it. Even though I've got it collateralized with money in the bank, they're still going to ding my credit if I somehow miss a payment or default on that loan. What is amazing about my loan with the insurance company, Russ, is I call them and I ask for that money, and they ask me two questions. How much do you want? Where do you want it sent? Is there anything easier than that? They're not asking me when I'm going to pay it back. If it's going to be monthly, quarterly, because they don't care. So it allows me the freedom. I can go to bed at night. I can breathe deep knowing that there is not this expected payment that's going to hit me next month, the next month, the next month. I can pay over. I can pay under. I can pay nothing. I'm in complete control, whereas with the bank, the bank is
0: in control. So coming back to you, Joey, on as it relates to loans, speak to the differences between the loan interest rates. So if I do use a savings account at the bank, I I put it up as collateral, as Eric kind of was just describing. Yeah, they made me fill out all this paperwork and everything. There's a loan interest rate they're going to charge me at the bank. Compare how those loans uh, interest rates work as compared to loan interest rates at an insurance company because we've all taken hundreds, if not even almost probably a 1,000 loans between us over the last 15 years. But the average person has never taken a single loan from an insurance company, so
1: they don't quite understand the differences. So a couple, I'll give a little bit of a disclaimer. When it comes to borrowing against, let's say, a CD or savings account at a banking institution, those rates vary pretty wildly from what I can tell. The larger the banking institution, typically the higher that interest rate is, uh, it's not uncommon to have an interest rate in, let's say, the seven, eight uh, percent on the, the bigger institutions. And then like your smaller credit unions might end up having like a five percent to six percent rate right now. I'm just thinking like this is 2023 numbers that we're talking, whereas at a, an insurance company, you're going to be Uh, Typically, there's either a fixed rate from your insurance company or a variable rate. That's going to, again, vary from company to company. But on average, that number is going to be between four and a half to maybe 5.75, somewhere in that ballpark, depending on if it's fixed or variable. The the really clear thing, though, that I want to make is the repayment terms are more important than the interest rate. Cause you just let off saying, Hey, as investors, we always get tied into rate of return, rate of return. Well, on the borrower side, people always get tied into what's the interest rate. What's the interest rate. And I would tell you that's the least important factor because when it comes to repayment, it's all about cash flow. If I'm borrowed from a, uh, let's say a, a banking institution against my, my savings or CD. Typically, the terms are going to require me to repay that loan within one to five years. That's about the maximum that you can find, sometimes up to 10. But regardless, they have a set term that they want you to repay that money back. And so you start thinking, um, let's say, for instance, I was looking at a credit union yesterday. Uh, uh, They had a 10-year loan, and it was a $100,000 loan. It was almost $1,000 a month repayment. Now, a portion of that's going to principal, okay? So I get that, but it still requires me $1,000 a month. Now, compare that to an insurance company loan. I take that same $100,000. I can repay that loan if I want to or not. There's literally no required payment, but the interest that would accrue on that loan at 5%, which is, again, typical for insurance company loan, would cost me $5,000 because it's an interest-only uh, accumulation so five thousand dollars for the year versus a thousand dollars a month that's required of me there is no comparison in terms of the repayment terms that are required between the two and i think you know when back in when you were in the mortgage days
0: then the heyday right when we had those uh what what do they call them loser loans not that's not
1: the term what do they
0: the the loans the, that didn't require any credit, didn't require any profile.
1: What were the the, the Nina, what? the Nina, the Pinta and the Santa Maria or whatever it was? <laughs> no income required. <laughs> no income. No, no assets. Yeah, the ninja loans, I thought. Ninja.
0: Ninja. 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 <laughs> there were the ninja loans. That's right. Um, it, you, you remember those days. And, and there was the, the typical amortized loans. Then there was the interest only loans. But if right. you, but you also remember that there was the um, the reverse amortization loans, right? There was the negative AM, yeah, ne- negative amortization loans, where you're actually paying less than what the interest was. Well, in an insurance company world, really, because there's not a required payback structure, because the loan is nothing more than a prepayment of the death benefit. It's like the double whammy of the negative AM loan, right? Exactly. Now, now Mark, re- really quickly, I know we're about to wrap up on the. Uh, on the low part, what else would you add in here as it relates to the differences between borrowing money from a savings account, uh, a loan against a savings account potentially, versus borrowing money against a life insurance policy? Are
2: you talking about the paperwork part of it, Russ, or the amortization part? Well, because I don't think paperwork. I mean, paperwork here is one of those things. I mean, I don't know about you, but I care about the environment. Right. And if you want to go get a loan from a bank, I mean, let's just go start chopping down trees because that's what we're going to do. We're, we're going to harvest a small forest so that we can print all those horrible papers that don't fit in a regular eight and a half by 11 folder. They got to fold them in like partially in half. Um, thank you, Joey, for ruining my filing system consistently with those. I mean, the, the, the amount of paper that goes into Eric's point earlier. You know, the amount of information you need to give, because I I, I want to make sure we got this, get this part clear, because this was something that I, I dug up too is when we're talking about collateralizing potentially a savings account or using the money inside of your checking account or savings account as collateral for a loan, essentially what you're doing is you're going to the bank and getting a personal loan that is collateralized by that cash. And that means we need to start filling out a whole bunch of paperwork. So, you know, let, let, let's go ahead and get your name, your social, where you live, you know, the employers you have, you know, last 10 people you've been with, you know, in terms of like friendships, relationships, working, all that good stuff. You know, who are all the people that are in your circle that can vouch for you? Because this is a personal loan. Your discount just yeah, got real personal. Yeah, right. <laughs> it got real personal. I mean, some of those people may not vouch for you after all. <laughs> But the amount of paper that goes into that loan is is really kind of crazy, and and the the legwork that comes back from the insurance company and the things that they're going to use to to gauge against you, versus the life insurance company, which is a fully collateralized piece of instrument, right? You you've you've pushed your cash in there, and so now you have cash value, and so that's what you're being able to use as your collateral. And like Eric said, there's really only two questions, you know, how much do you want? Where do you want it sent? and so that's why i think if depending on where oh and don't forget a life insurance loan does not count against your debt to income ratio so for all of our real estate investors you are intimately familiar with what debt of uh, your debt to income ratio is and how that can impact your ability to borrow cash if you've listened to our show for any length of time you've heard us talk about infinite banking and how we were able to
1: use that concept to create over fifty thousand dollars a month in passive income but it's just not that easy to figure out how does this all connect into my own personal system. Stallion. That's why we created the
0: passive income operating system, bro. It shows you how to turn active income into passive income. It makes all the steps come together. If you would like to get access to it as a podcast listener, we've never given this away in public before go to what's forward slash P I O S.
2: There was nothing
0: worse than walking into class when you're in school and the teacher saying, pot quiz day, why?
1: Because you were unprepared. Are you unprepared though for financial freedom? Don't be. Find out how close you are by taking our 30 second quiz at wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash quiz.
0: Let's keep going and move move down to the next part of this stallion. Cause I I think we gotta we gotta dig a little deeper and and find out. Let's talk about protection. Right, protection is an important thing. You'd all agree, especially Mark. Let's talk about how we protect money in a savings account as compared to how we protect money in a life insurance company. We can start off with the thing that we all want to protect against is loss. Right. So, Staying, talk a little bit about how, um, why we would not want to use a savings account. What are some of those lack of protection measures as compared to using an insurance company?
1: Well, the, the first thing I think of is you have to solve for the loss of life, right? The loss of the breadwinner, if you will, um, or whomever, whoever is actually has these assets needs to be insured against loss. And if you're going to solve for that, you really only have two ways to do it. I can do it by just having a bunch of assets, right? Just the actual cash itself being the death benefit that it gets passed on to the next generation or whoever's left behind. Um, Or I have to buy some sort of insurance against it and I can either do term or whole life. Now, all the financial gurus will have you to think that term is the better way to do this because, oh man, uh, it's so cheap, it's so inexpensive. But cheap and inexpensive is always compared to what? It's compared to the fact that only less than 2% of those policies ever pay a death claim. And so if that's the case, how expensive is it really? If it never pays you out because you've been putting it in for 10, 20 years, however long, 30-year terms, and it never paid out, how expensive was it? It was actually ridiculously expensive because you got nothing in return For all those premiums paid contrast that with my whole life insurance policy that gives me all these benefits we're talking about anyway and it's guaranteed to pay me out because it is covering me for my whole life and yes i am using air quotes for those of you who are just listening to us on the podcast there is no comparison right that is the cheapest coverage that i could ever buy because it's going to actually pay back a dividend over that period of time so that, to so, me, that's, get, that's my first thought.
0: Well, you're, you're breaking down, like, why would we not want to use a savings account to do infinite banking? Well, in order to protect against loss as it relates to death, right, we would have to buy term insurance. Right. I, I love the way that you, you share those two. I, I've got um, to push back here. By the way, whole life or term are not cheaper than one another. They're actually equally as expensive or cheap, however you want to look at it, because it's the, the costs associated with them are measuring the number of deaths that are going to happen over the period of time that are allowed. And so the same expenses are incurred by the insurance company either way. It's just what's happening in a shorter period of time clearly is going to have less. It's like filling up a, a small little bitty car versus filling up a 15 passenger van, right? They're not comparable because they're doing several different things. All right. Eric, what are some other uh, protection issues that uh, that we need to consider when it comes to using a savings account for IBC versus using a whole life policy? How about protecting your credit and your FICO score? You know, Mark
3: talked about um, so astutely about debt to income ratio. Well, when we go to make a loan with a bank. Not only are they going to hit a ding on your FICO score, your credit score, just for going out there and looking at your credit, that's a hit, even if you don't make the loan, but then once you make the loan, your debt to income ratio changes. And now we've hit our credit score again. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, all of us, um, that are on the four of us on this call, we love to use other people's money really in all forms. But I like to protect my credit score as much as I possibly can so that I can go make um, other loans, make deals that I need to make uh, in land, in you know, my Amazon business, whatever it is. Love to use that, but a, a bank loan would definitely hit that FICO score. Russ, were you aware that when I take a loan against my insurance policy, it has nothing to do with my credit and that's never pulled? Mm. That's good, isn't it?
0: Now, unfortunately, the bad part of that is that when I make all those repayments, I don't get the benefit of the credit score being enhanced either, though. So, you know, I mean, there's a negative to everything
2: here. Mark, what about you? What's another area that we should protect against? Oh, man. Well, I mean, Dodd-Frank, when that thing came out, uh, that if a bank goes under, they will no longer be bailed out, but it's got to be bailed in. And so my concern is if my money is sitting at a bank, if that bank goes belly up the government has come out and said it and they've proven it in greece and they've proven there's one other country i forget where it is where they've already proven the bail-in method where rather than the government coming in and floating cash to the bank in that moment they're just going to take all of the deposit receipts and say congratulations russ you now own stock Mm. within this defunct bank so you are now a creditor to the bank and uh here is your worthless piece of digital paper um Mm. Good luck selling that on the open market. And uh, oh, and, and don't forget, we, we we do have this FDIC thing, but it's only up to 250,000. And uh, remind me again, Russ, how much money is sitting in the FDIC for all the liabilities that they have on paper?
1: Oh man, is it like one one tenth of 1%? How much is it? it? It's about 1.3% of all deposits. In fact, uh, you think about it, there's t- anywhere between 25 to 50 billion on hand at the fdic at any given time um and there's only approximately nine trillion in actual deposits so that should be insured by the fdic so you tell me is 50 billion just a hair under nine trillion or like how how are we tracking it oh
0: there's gonna be some trouble if we see you know more more banks how many bank
1: failures have we had joey all right, so since two thousand one, there's only been five hundred and sixty six. Oh, okay, so just five hundred and sixty six. It, it's you know, ins you know, insufficient kind of number there. No, no big deal. Compare uh, that to an
0: insurance company.
1: Yeah, so in the same time frame, thirty three life insurance companies have failed in the same amount of time.
0: Now, if a if a bank fails or an insurance company fails. How, what, what has typically happened there?
1: So in both cases, there's some arm of insurance. So FDIC on the bank side, the state insurance guarantee association, typically state to state is going to step in and facilitate a takeover. Somebody is going to come and take that book of business, that bank, you know, portfolio, what have you over. And the actual account owner is typically unencovered. Like there's no, there's no difference. They just now have their business going to a different, you know, uh, place, but in the in the sense of the amount of money that is over these limits, in this case, the FDIC is 250,000. Um, I I'll say this Russ. in my research, which is very basic. So I'm sure somebody can correct me on this or help me. Um, they said. That anything above the FDIC is has never lost. They've never lost money on insured deposits. That's the the actual wording. Nobody has ever lost any money up to the insured amount. What they fail to tell you is how many dollars have been lost above that amount in these multiple bank failures. And uh, until I can get an actual number, I won't you know pontificate. But that is, it's just interesting how it's how it's worded. Did you find that there were
0: uh, lots of individual policyholder losses in those 30-something bank,
1: uh, 30-something insurance company that failed over the same 20-something year period of time? No, again, not, I'm sure I haven't done all the research that there is, but to my knowledge, I could not see anything uh, that showed any individual insurance holder um, losing their access to their money. The, the thing
0: that we forgot to talk about as far as protection is kind of be taxes, right? One of the biggest thieves that exist out there is the IRS. And one of the things that I, reason why I don't want to use savings accounts to do the infinite banking concept is that any gains that I do receive, even if right now our interest rates are three to 5% at my savings account, I'm going to have to pay taxes on those. So at a 40% tax rate, No, if I make that 5%, I'm really netting 3%, right? And so really, I'm not able to compare apples to apples to my long-term savings instrument, which is the life insurance company's general assets. And I'm I'm not able, I'm not having to report those dollars to be for creditors. Eric, I don't have to report those to any institution because they're all private money. I, I don't have to report that gain that happens every single year inside of those 28 insurance contracts that I have to the IRS either. And that's an amazing thing. That's a a protection measure on lots of different things. One, protected from uh, creditors, protected from taxes, protected from death, protected from the credit score. Uh, The death part is one of those things that there's a lot of areas there. If you talk to attorneys, Joey and I was spending a little time with attorney today and He said, you know, the the attorney's job is to sue everybody. If something goes bad, sue everybody. Um, Attach every potential asset that exists to that lawsuit. And I can tell you, a a checking account is going to be one of the first things. They're going to to seize that asset. They're going to shut down your access to that money. It potentially becomes the asset of the, the person trying to sue you. Well, with the life insurance policy, though, we have a lot of other protections. I just did some cursory research here, so this isn't thorough for everybody. But just like, you want to say, is it protected unlimited? Yes, if you live in the states of Alabama, Florida, Idaho, Indiana, Kentucky, New uh, North Carolina, so on and so on and so on. If you want to, I'll I'll, uh, give you a link inside the show notes where you can go and see your state and see the specific um, protections for life insurance. I mean, most of them are unlimited or mostly unlimited. There's some variations to that. So if you live uh, like in New Hampshire, you know, they say, oh, it's fully protected for the the cash value, but uh, the cash value may not be fully protected, but the death benefit is. Or if you live in New Jersey, they say, well, it's actually fully protected, the all, all of it, except for alimony and perhaps child support claims, right? So they have these little small iterations there. So you can go and look and try to see if one of those specific areas uh, uh, impacts you. The last part I wanna move on to as we start to wrap this up and talking about what are the reasons why we don't use savings accounts to try to get into uh, the infinite banking concept is really in the human behavior. When you think about this, Joey, in your experience in the past, just personal experience, when you had money sitting in a savings account Talk about your mindset of one, how much money you were willing to put in there, but also what would be uh, the risk of a money sitting in a savings account as it relates to your personal spending habits,
1: potentially? Well, I can go ahead and tell you, um, there was always a cap in my brain that said, once I go over this number, whatever, and it's an arbitrary number, depending on who you are and, and what your situation is. But once you get to that number, it starts to actually bother that you have money sitting in a savings account and you start to wonder what number one, what could I invest in or number two, what could I spend it on? And unfortunately, there's so much ease in a, I mean, you pull up your phone, you got your, your app for your bank and you literally can transfer that money so quickly with just a swipe and a couple of clicks, you're done. It it found its way out of my savings account a lot faster than it did sitting there long term, especially when you couple that with what we started off with was the interest rate uh, conundrum where we're living at 0.01% in those things. Man, it was just, it was like, I don't want to lose money on the deal. I, I need to go spend this on some new clothes or some, you know, fill in the blank vacation. And uh, yeah, it, it was human behavior for me, Was it definitely got spent over a certain of
0: Well, behavioral economics, I think, are often overlooked as it relates to finance. We don't do finance in a vacuum, right? We don't judge everything on a very black and white surface. There's a lot of gray, there's a lot of human emotion that goes into it. And what we find is that we have certain cognitive biases, we have uh, different herd mentality, people tend to make decisions not always in their best interest based upon some other external cons- uh, external pressure. And to your point is that I have money in a savings account. Uh, I'm not going to want to put a bunch of it in there because it's not earning the rate of return I need. Oh, uh, it's it's in the flow. It's available to me. I go to look at my account. I see it. I go, oh, well, I have enough money. Maybe I can go on this trip to Cancun, right? Like I got more money than I could just take this trip. But like you find ways to use the money. You find ways to not put as much in there because of certain things. Compare that though, Mark, to what you personally experienced or what you've seen experience as people uh, are saving money in the life insurance policies. Do you see them thinking, oh, I know this is just a long-term savings account. I'm just going to put a little bit of money, but not a whole lot.
2: I actually had a a, a nice lady when we were talking, and she's about ready to come into a very nice windfall because she has a, an investment that is sunsetting. And so now she's going to come into all this cash. And so we're looking at deploying into a properly structured life insurance contract for infinite banking. And I said, well, let's compare this to what would you do without this? And she said, well, I'd, I'd, I'd have to find something to put it into. And I said, really? So, So now... Are you telling me that you're feeling pressure to find a space to drop that cash into or find something that you to invest into? Because you know that if it just sits in a checking account or a savings account, it's just lazy. And she goes, yes, I, I, I feel a tremendous amount of pressure in that arena. And I said, wow, well, let's compare that to if we put that into the alternative, which is the properly structured infinite banking life insurance contract scenario and system I said, all of a sudden, if it's sitting in there, if there's no good deals coming your way, do you feel that same measure of pressure, that same measure of FOMO? I said, because we've already talked about what it's doing inside of the contract. We've talked about it. It does have that internal growth component. It does have that slow and steady. It's not sexy by any stretch. Let's get that clear. And it's not an investment. It's a place to park your cash, but now you can park it and you can wait for the opportunity that's appropriate for you. The thing that fits your investor DNA, which is what we help all of our clients work through. What type of an investor are you? What are the things that are going to align with you? What are the things that are going to help you get closer to that vision of financial freedom? As opposed to feeling pressured to, man, I got to put this thing to work. And so, wow, shiny penny, off I go. And that may or may not be the best thing for you in that moment. And wouldn't you hate to have that regret post-fact? Well, we we have uh, several clients who are putting
0: seven figures um in their life insurance contracts every single year i know that they would never put that amount of money in a savings account Uh, joey and i did a webinar today where we showed the top 24 banks in the u.s have over a billion dollars in cash value life insurance we know that that is a a lot of money that they just wouldn't store sitting idle. They don't see it as that place. They see it as the safe place that protects against all those other areas. Eric, I'll let you give one final thought.
3: Yeah, Russ. Um, sometimes these financial ideas seem really complex and sophisticated, and sometimes they are, but the, the ideas behind them don't have to be complex and sophisticated. The way the filter I think that we need to all be running our lives through to some degree is what is the best use of my resources now we do this very simply when we think about things like running errands if we want to go to the bank need to go to the bank need to go to the post office maybe grab some lunch maybe pick up something at target we don't make four individual trips if we have all those things to do run to target home bank home you know post office and home we realize that our resource of time the resource of the fuel in our car is all finite And so let's make the most of that. All that we've done in this talk today is talk about uh, a resource that we have in our finances, in our dollars, and what is the most uh, effective and efficient use of that resource. And hopefully we've unpacked that for you in a way that you can see that there's a better way to use this resource that allows this dollar that you have, that you've worked extremely hard for, to actually do more things and it's probably currently doing inside just your checking or savings account.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well said. Stallion, I'll let you wrap us up. Yeah, so good, Eric. Thank you for that. And I think at the end of the day, um this question typically comes from someone who is skeptical, right? They don't they they don't trust insurance because it's been pushed down their throat before. It, it's it's not structured the way that we're talking about. It's not being used in the way that we're talking about. And so they have this bias that you mentioned, Russ, as a cognitive bias towards it. The challenge that I would leave you with today is, think about, is that bias standing in the way of you becoming financially free? And it's not necessarily just because life insurance is gonna make you financially free. That's not the point of today's podcast. But what else could be a bias if this is one, what else could be standing in your way? And I want to challenge you to think about that and to spend time with one of these coaches to help them, help you uncover maybe some of those other things. Because our whole goal is for those who want to be financially free to get there faster. And sometimes you can't do that with what you've started with. You need a whole new way of thinking. You need a whole new tribe of people around you to help you get there and that's what we're here for. So if we can help you with that, go to WealthWithoutWallStreet.com forward slash free call and start that process today.
0: I thought he was going to say you need a whole new life insurance policy, but he didn't. That would have been a good <laughs> way to We appreciate you listening. Hope you found value today. If you did, share it with someone. Uh, take time, rate, review the show. We are always uh, grateful for your responses and ways that we can improve it. Have an amazing day.